the audio is coming, I think. 10, 9, 8, 7, can you hear me? I think you should now. Oh, hang on. Hey, here we go. How are you? Pretty good, buddy. How are you? Oh, going great, man. Going fantastic. What, so what's whereabouts are you today? Are you at home? No, I'm at work. I'm at work today. Oh, working. Working on a Sunday, working hard, no doubt. That's what you do, don't you? <laughs> That's it, buddy. Someone's got to keep the dream alive. Dream alive. So... I guess uh, for the listeners of From the Valley podcast, episode 97, it's the 26th of April 2020, Pizza Baghetti. Um, now, you've got a bit of, an, I guess, an association with Brisbane, which we'll get to, but um, um, originally you weren't uh, born, whereabouts were you born overseas, weren't you? Yeah, I was born in Sao Paulo, in Brazil, about 34 years ago. There you go, so Brazil. I... Um, and, yep. uh, and growing up as a young kid, can you remember those days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had a pretty, I had a pretty good childhood, to be honest with you. Um, it's a different life to the one you have here, um, in a sense where uh, you grew up in an apartment mainly. There's not a lot of houses there, so you, not as many outdoor activities as my kids do. Um, but uh, it was, uh, I had a, I had a really good childhood. Um, yeah, mum and dad worked a lot, so I didn't see a, see a, a heap of them all the time, but, um, yeah, no, I certainly had a pretty, pretty good upbringing there. Cool, man. So and then <clears throat> what, uh, and did you play any sports while you're over there, like soccer or, or volleyball or anything like that? Yeah, I played. Uh, we played soccer. Is you is the main sport there, which I played. I was pretty crap at it, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, yeah, in Brazil, you play in school. You play soccer. That's the main sport. There's a bit, little bit of volleyball, but nothing, nothing sort of serious. And that's about it, really. Um, that's about it. That we don't have, you know, over here in Australia, where you got golf, rugby, league, rugby union, AFL, uh, over there we, you know, we stick to one sport really, which is soccer. Good old Pele, he was a soccer player from Brazil, wasn't he? Uh. Yeah, so he's from, he's a Santos player, which is the team that my dad follows, like you and your family, you guys are all Richmond fans. Uh, in Brazil, we're all Santos followers, so uh, dad actually saw Pele play. Um, back on the days. Cool man. Yeah, so soccer and uh, so can. How old were you, Caesar, when you first sort of came to Australia to live, or came to Australia for the first time? Yeah. So I migrated to Brisbane in two thousand and two, and I was seven. I was just turned seventeen. Um, and some of which is fairly common in. Brazil, you you move to an English-speaking country. You do usually six, twelve months. Uh, the idea being, you learn to speak English, and then you come back to Brazil, and you've got that extra skill set. So when you join the workforce, you're a bit more uh, hireable, if that makes sense. Um, so 2002, I moved here. Um, 
you know, I landed on the Thursday. I was at school on the Monday, which, um, geez, that was, um, you know, you jumped right in. I didn't speak a lot of English, if any, really. Um, so that was a, a very, very interesting experience. Um, yeah, that was, you know, I remember like it was yesterday. It was like I landed in a different planet um, here in Australia. Um, you know, everyone was blonde. Everyone, I didn't understand what anyone was saying. Uh, the buses worked. It was, um, it was quite interesting. And I, uh, I actually, when I moved to Australia, I stayed with a host family, which I, yeah, I kept in touch with them until they passed away. They were great people. And it was an Australian couple. Uh, and you basically move into an Australian family and they feed you, they, you know, they hang around with you, that type of stuff. Uh, so you, you know, I got, a, I, I had a really good experience, although it was very difficult, obviously, as you can imagine when you, when you're a 17 year old, you're still pretty much a kid and you moving away from the comforts of home the comfort of, you know, your country, as in, you know, you speak the language, you know how everything works and you got to sort of um, dive headfirst into a new culture. Although all cultures are pretty similar. Um, you know, it was still first, probably three, six months were, yeah, I remember calling dad on a daily basis saying, oh, get, get me out of here for the first three months. Cause it was just, it, you know, it was, pretty brutal not speaking the language um yeah where about so whereabouts uh, in on the north side did you where was the first uh, i guess location or place yep. that you lived at when you were there yep so i went to a school in chamside called craigsley state high um which was yeah, i i don't know how good a school it was because that's the only school i went to in australia um, certainly compared to my high school experience in Brazil, it was very, very, very laid back. I mean, you know, when you first moved here, when you first moved to Australia, you can pick the subjects you do and, you know, um, there's so a fair was, bit of freedom. So where you, if you go back to Brazil for a sec, was the schooling very strict over there? Yeah, well, I went to, a, I went to a really good school and, um, and you didn't have an option in terms of what subjects you you wanted to learn. So for an example, we did robotics at school. That was a subject we did geometry, um, chemistry, all that stuff was compulsory. Um, so, uh, you know, when I moved here, I mean, you, you could do music, which I, 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 back, back in those days, I loved playing music. So that was obviously the first when I, I signed up to, um, yeah, but um, it, it's it's an interesting exercise. So basically, you go through a migration sort of agent, and he does the work. He finds you the school, and he obviously has a connection with with the school, and he places you um, at at a, a school like Craigslee. So um, you know, you obviously pay. Um, it, it was a, a fair amount of money actually probably the same price that you, that you would pay to go to uh, a top 
private school is what I paid to go to Craigslist State High. So that was that was interesting, but um, I certainly didn't learn a whole lot in terms of academic uh, material, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, I was at school for grade 11, grade 12. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I learned to speak English. That's probably the biggest takeaway from it. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I guess um, when when was the first time you met that uh, younger brother of mine, that bloody Christopher? When, when did you meet Crispo, or whatever you call him? Yeah. So Chris, which is a great friend of mine, we still we still keep in touch. Uh, obviously, he lives in the Gold Coast now. I live in Sydney, so it's a bit harder to do face to face meetings. But you know, we we speak with each other on the phone. Uh, pretty often. I met him. He was my first real friend uh, in Australia. Um, so, you know, I think him and I, we had very, uh, we had similar interests uh, in high school, which was drinking beer and trying to tune up girls. Um, so we got along pretty fine. <laughs> yeah, cool, man. So, it, yeah. Uh, it, he took me under his wing. He didn't understand half of what I said. I didn't understand what he said. However, you know, we were still able to form a, a pretty good bond. And uh, as I said, we're still buddies now. He's a really, really good dude. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, I guess, your struggles with the English language in, in those early years, it's, it's amazing to, to think that, um, you know, of all the people that my brother could have chosen, you know, as the MC for his uh, wedding, um, your um, how you sort of developed as as a public in in a way as a public speaker or a confidence sort of speaker enabled you to be be the MC at his wedding. So it just shows you how far you've come uh, and and you know how you sort of develop develop those skills. Which is something we can we'll talk about in this podcast. But um, I just think that's quite interesting that that uh, that's certainly occurred and you've, you've you've taken the ball and ran with it basically. Well, something that I that I that, I, was, that I, I just gave it a crack. So for an example, um, a lot of people when learning a new language, uh, especially when you're in the country that speaks that language, people are very self-conscious of making mistakes. And, you know, I that was not a problem that I had. I didn't really care if I sort of, I, I gave it a crack. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, and, you know, that's why a lot of people um, really struggle to learn a language and that's because they don't put themselves out there. And, but my thought was, I mean, this country, I think if, uh, if I'm talking to someone and they see that I'm at least trying to speak their language, they will give me a go. Whereas, um, a lot of people, uh, especially back on those days, a lot of the, let's say the Brazilian people that moved here, they hung around with Brazilians, uh, or, um, South Americans hung around with South Americans, Brazilians hung around with Brazilians, Indians hung around with Indians, and I didn't want to do that. Um, I thought that defeated the purpose of moving to the other side of the world. Um, you know, there's no point in me moving to Australia to have a Brazilian girlfriend or uh, hang around with Brazilian people type thing. That was the way I saw it anyway. Uh, and it served me well. I mean, I, I, I certainly... I'm fluent in English, as you can tell, and now, you know, I, you can't shut me up, basically. <laughs> That's uh, definitely the truth. <laughs> yeah, um, 
I guess some of the other, what are some of the other hobbies that you sort of remember sort of undertaking in your um, younger years as opposed to, you know, chewing up uh, hot Australian chips and uh, getting out on the piss? And uh, what else did you used to get up to? Anything that, that comes to mind? Well, I used to play music. Uh, I I had dreams of becoming a musician when I was a bit younger. That didn't uh, take place. Uh, but yeah, I played drums in a band. I played guitar, uh, and that took uh, took took the majority of my time outside of work and school back on those days. Um, and yeah, that was that was probably the main hobby that I had. Um, I've always been a fairly creative person in terms of, you know, either playing music or making stuff. I've always sort of tried to make something out of nothing. Um, so yeah, that was that was what I that's that's what I did. I mean, I did music at school, and it was quite interesting because I couldn't speak English, and I couldn't read music either. So, um, you know, we used to turn up to the music class. So we had this teacher who basically she, I used to turn up and because I didn't understand what she was saying and I didn't understand music, uh, I used to turn up. She used to say, Caesar, you can go to the room uh, next door and play guitar if you want. So I said, oh, okay, cool. And I just go and play guitar for two hours and that was my music lesson. It was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, so uh, with Brisbane, tell us a bit about the your connection you've had with, I guess, the city of Brisbane. Obviously, some of your first jobs that you had here, or the first job you had here in Australia, um, that type of thing. So my first real job in Australia was I worked at, uh, it was in Paddington, at, um, it was the comedy club in Paddington. Sit down comedy club. Uh, yeah, I got a gig there. I was the light and sound dude. Um, that was my first job. So I was basically working the switchboard, making, changing the lighting, depending on what was happening. Um, I got paid about $40 a night. Um, cost me more in fuel. Um, but, you know, it was an interesting job. I mean, I gave it a pretty good crack. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, you know, I worked for free beer, basically. So, common theme you're going to find through this podcast is uh, my love of beer, probably. <laughs> love of beer. Well, uh, which which type of beer? I, I guess were you drinking back in those days? Anything in particular that comes to mind? Well, in Brazil, we drink pilsners. That's the that's what we drink. Um, uh, back on those days, Tim was whatever was liquid. Really, was we we would drink. <laughs> Me and your brother. Whatever was the cheapest. <laughs> exactly. I think back on those days, we used to drink uh, Woodstock bourbon and coke, the pre-mixed stuff. It was horrific. Um, but that's oh, yeah. what we. Oh, we used to drink Goon with uh, Sprite. That was another classic Craigslist cocktail. Um, but anyway, back to work. So that was the first job I got. Yeah. I then I then got a job at a fish and chip shop, which was quite cool. Um, and, I, you know, I re it was hard work. Um, it, it was very hard work. And that was in Chem side as well. Uh, but I had, I had some really, really good experiences there. 
through that job, um, probably four shops down from the fish and chip shop, there was a business, uh, an office supplies company called Paincraft Office National. Um, and I became really good friends with the guy that ran that particular branch of Paincraft. Um, we became really close buddies. He used to come in uh, and I used to make his breakfast every day. Um, and yeah, we built a really cool relationship. And through that, I ended up getting a job at Pencraft Office National, which is a, an office supplies business in Fortitude Valley. Uh, still there, still doing really well. That's business has been, um, I was there for 10 years. Um, the directed, uh, we still use Pencraft just to let you know. Excellent. Very cool. The guy that owns Pencraft, he's had that business for close to 20 years, I think. Um, and it's interesting how the valley changed. Um, and, you know, when I first started there, I was uh, picking and packing um, boxes in the warehouse, um, which was uh, a really good experience. Um, that was sort of like my university, if that makes sense. Um, and it was, it was interesting when I got that job, um, a lot of my friends in Brazil, um, were, were going through, through the university channels and doing that type of education progression. And I got a job in a warehouse packing boxes and, um, you know, a lot of my friends said, oh, that's, um, you know, you're wasting your time. It's, you've got to go to uni, uh, very much the thinking. I think still now, but very much the thinking back on those days in Brazil was you either go to uni or, or you're a bit of a pleb, if that makes sense. Um, now, obviously that didn't bother me. I, um, I really, I really loved the job and I gave it, I really gave it 110%. And, um, and, you know, I was very lucky the, the guy that owns Pencraft Office National, which is your supplier, um, David Loxon, he is my business partner now. Uh, we went into business after working together for, you know, a bit over 10 years. Um, and he's, he's been a really good mentor of mine. Um, he's an accountant by trade, much like yourself. Um, and he really taught me how to run a business. Um, and that background, you know, working through, um, working, starting on the bottom, working in the warehouse, especially working for a guy like that, um, really made me realize that, you know, the opportunities are endless if you, if you work hard and you, and you give it a hundred percent, you know, I knew there was going to be some good opportunities within that business. Um, so I worked in the warehouse for quite a while, picking, packing, um, you know, hot Queensland warehouse, no air conditioning. That was hard yakka at times. Um, and uh, from that, uh, I then progressed into sales. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, I was working in the warehouse. I had a bit of an accident at home. I burned my hand. And instead of going to work and saying, hey, I can't work anymore. I, I need three weeks off because I can't pick boxes. I said to David, hey, I can't 
pack boxes, but you know, can I do something else? Um, and you know, started making phone calls to customers. Um, and you know, um, I that's how I got started in that sales role. Uh, we had a we had a couple of we had a dude doing sales at Paincraft at the time, but he it, but it was nothing sort of we didn't have a formal sales department, if you will. There was no type no sales manager, no sort of sales training. If you will, it was very much pick up the phone, make some calls, and you know, um, I was lucky that I had someone take a pun to me because obviously, you know, the on the beginning I was very 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 green. Uh, but then I took an interest in it, and something that I've I've always been able to do, I've always been able to build relationships with people. Um, mm. So the sales suited me quite well, um, and you know through that journey, uh, which I did sales at Pencraft for probably five years, we we managed to really grow the business. Um, I ended up, you know, after a couple of years, we got a couple of salespeople working under me and we were able to really, you know, really get some good accounts on board, which was, which is still with us today. Um, you being one of them, uh, CTBS, we've been looking after you guys for probably, I think it's been five years now. At least, yeah. Uh, the first first lady that I had to get on board was Monique. I, I still remember she was she was a very hard gatekeeper to get through. She was hard to convince. Um, but after I tried to get you on board, team. I mean, you and I, you know, we're family friends. We're, you know, I've I've known your family for ten years, but it took me two years to get you on board. Mm. And that's that's the job of sales, in a sense. You know, it's. Um, nothing has ever come easy. Mm. Um, I mean, what do you think? I mean, that, obviously you, you found a passion in, in you know, sales and you, you seem to have that sort of mindset of not giving up on, on a situation or you sort of keep the feelers out there, keep things sort of moving. Um, what sort of things did you learn, I guess, um, when it came to, uh, you know, being a really good salesperson? Yep. So, um, well, the persistent part was uh, was a, a big lesson that I had to learn. So, um, a lot of accounts that we won um, back on those days, and we won some really decent businesses. Uh, we're talking 12, 24 months to get those guys on board. And what tended to happen was I used to, you know, we followed a sales cycle where we're calling people basically every month. Hey, just touching base. Um, you know, I'm the dude that you spoke to last month. We, in some I'll tell you a side story related to this. I, I used to tell people that I ran Pencraft. Um, there was always, there was always something I did. And I remember once uh, I was on the phone talking to a prospective customer. I said, Oh, my name is Caesar. I run Pencraft office national and my, my then boss walked past me as I was saying that, and I actually felt a bit weird. And I said, I said to him, I said, oh, yeah. man, I hope you don't mind. I said, I hope you don't mind me saying that. And he said, Caesar, if you get him on board, I don't care what you say. Um, meaning, 
obviously not doing anything funky, but, um, you know, and that's how that mindset of, you know, if you act like a sales manager, you, you, you eventually become the sales manager because the guy who you work for will look at you and he will think, well, without this guy, my business wouldn't be the same thing. Um, so that was something interesting, but it was trial and, and error. I mean, you, you make, you make some good calls, you make some bad calls, um, and then you try and obviously improve. But the gist of it was, I, I just kept in touch with people and over time, I ended up building a bit of a relationship with, with these guys. Mm. And then it gets to a point where in the, in a period of 12 months or 24 months, doesn't matter what industry you're in, um, you know, there's going to be a few hiccups here and there. Um, now, I was there because I was there, because I had my foot in the door and I was talking to these people on a monthly basis. When the supply let them down, I was there. I was making that call every month. And when the opportunity arise where, uh, let's say, um, I'll give you one example of a business. We picked up... Um, Brisbane Airport, which is a great account for us. Um, you know, it's a, obviously a pretty iconic business. Uh, and that was a two-year process. And it got to a point where I, I was closer to them than their sales rep from the old company was. And when they screwed up, they called and said, Caesar, can we talk to you? Um, you know, we need ABC. And then you, you know, service service them as well as you can and then you further that business relationship and then you, you just become uh, you become their guy and to be honest with you my approach to sales has not changed um, we're still doing the same thing in terms of gaining new business that that is how we do it uh, and now obviously I don't work for Pencraft anymore I've got my own business here in Sydney uh, which David is my business partner. He's the guy that owns Pencraft. Um, and we were housed on this business after work, working together for 10 years. And that was, um, you know, that was uh, a truly eye-opening experience, moving, making that move from employee to employer, uh, from sales manager to director. And, you know, making that change from, when you when you have one function in a business, you are you, you you kind of have your blinkers on because everything happens behind the scenes, and as long as you're getting people on board, as long as you're building relationships, that's your job done. You go home, and you turn up the next day and you do it all over again. Um, and obviously, you know when you own your own business, you very quickly have to become the HR expert, um, you've got to become the logistics expert, you've got to become, a. you've got to really be uh, a well-rounded business person in order to succeed. Um, and, you know, going back to my mentor, I mean, um, you know, although he's not, he, he's not super active in Dynamic Office National, which is my business, uh, you know, if, if it would be a weird day where we wouldn't talk to each other at least a couple of times on the phone. That's a daily occurrence. 
and he's usually, you know, we work pretty well. He's the numbers guy like yourself, Tim. Um, I'm more of the relationship sort of building guy. So, you know, we, we really work well together. We, we have um, two sets of skills which complement each other quite well. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm very lucky that, I, that I've got that sort of source of knowledge, um, mm. you know, a phone call away, which is very, yeah. very important. Yeah, man. So obviously it's a big move. There's, there's a few big moves that you've done in your life. Oh, quite a few big moves you've done in your life. You obviously came from one country to another. Um, you know, you went to a school and, and uh, you know, you didn't know how to speak that English that well. Um, I mean, when you're sort of living in Brisbane and, and sort of working your sort of way up to this, this um, opportunity that presented itself to, to get into business, I mean, how did you sort of find Brisbane as a place? Did you did you think it was a good place to do business? What were the people like? Did you think it was a small town? What what are some of the things that stick yep. out? So I I absolutely love Brisbane. I think it's one of the best places on earth to live and work. Um, quality of life you have in Brisbane is um, ten out of ten in my personal experience. Um, Working in Brisbane versus working in Sydney, it is a little bit different. I find the baseline level of service you get in Brisbane is much higher than Sydney. Okay. Meaning you walk, you walk into a cafe, um, the level of service you get in Brisbane is much higher. Um, okay. I found it was a shock to the system when I first moved here. Um, it was a shock to the system. You know, the baseline level of service here is pretty average. Uh, the high, when you go high-end service provider, so let's say if you go to a fancy restaurant or if it's a service where you're paying a premium for, the service will be, will be really good. But your baseline level of service here, compared to Brisbane, uh, Brisbane's much better. Uh, people are more laid back in Brisbane, uh, I think. And that's obviously... Um, you know, Sydney, although it's only an hour flight, it's, it's a different world in a sense, like, um, Brisbane, I mean, you know, most, you live 10, you live 10 Ks from the CBD in Brisbane. I mean, you get into work in half an hour. Um, um, you know, Sydney is a very different place. Whereas, you know, it's, it feels like there's many different cities within our city. Um, so, for an example, you've got, you've got west, the western suburbs, and then you've got the northern, uh, the northern beaches. You've got um, the eastern suburbs, and they're very different places, very different crowds. Uh, where we are here in St. Leonard's, it's a, you know we're, we're very lucky here. This is an amazing place to run a business. Um, we're surrounded by some really great companies. Um, yeah, but in terms of um, doing business in Brisbane, I mean, it's um, unbelievable. Uh, getting around Brisbane is, I remember, uh, you can drive to the city, you park on the street, you go and talk to a law firm, you hop back on your car and you drive back to the valley. I mean, they're driving to, from the valley to the city, that process is 10 minutes max. Whereas if you go from St. Leonard's, which is where I'm based, um, we're probably five k's from the CBD here in Sydney. You t you're talking 20 minutes to drive there and there's no parking in the CBD, obviously. Uh, you just cannot park. 
yeah. on the street. So you've got to go to a private car park and you're talking, um, you know, $58 an hour for parking. Um, let's say if I want to get to the airport uh, in, you know, when I was working in the valley, if you want to go from the valley to the airport, I mean, that's, that would be, you would be flat out doing that in more than 25 minutes. Uh, and over here, you know, on a, on a, if you, if you go to the airport in the morning here, it's a 45 minute drive from St. Landon's to the airport. So getting around is much, much easier in Brisbane. Mm. People a bit more laid back. Um, however, you know, the opportunity, although there's a lot of opportunities in Brisbane, obviously, um, in, at least in my industry, the opportunities are more limited in Brisbane uh, than they are in Sydney. Uh, main reason being, we 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 sell stay. We sell, we're an office supplies business. So, for an example, a company like yours, CTBS, um, which as a, you guys have been with us for five years, so we supply you guys with uh, your office paper. Your you know you do let's say you do a trust for someone, you bind that document. We, we provide you the binding supplies, coffee, tea, sugar, toilet paper, paper towels, cleaning supplies, everything you need to run your business. That's our game, right? And being in Sydney versus being in Brisbane, the key advantage is a lot of head offices are in Sydney. So usually when you're looking at a, at a bigger company, head office will do a centralized deal and then they'll go to all the satellites office and go, you use this company. So when I was doing sales in Brisbane, when you're trying to enter a business and their head office is in Sydney, uh, that becomes a pretty challenging task. Um, so, you know, very different places to work, however, you know, the fundamentals are exactly the same. You still got to build a relationship with someone. You got to add some value to their lives, to their businesses. That obviously doesn't change. Um, but I mean, Brisbane, I, uh, I love Brisbane. I think it's one of, uh, you know, I, I lived there for a long time. Um, I think it's, it's one of the best places in the world to live. Um, it's 10 out of 10. So, in your industry, what, what sort of trends are you think you're looking at in the future? I mean, what what, what does what does what does uh, I guess a, a place that sort of specialises in you know stationery and, and all of the office top uh, stuff that you do? Where does that go in the future? Do you think what what do you think is going to happen, and what and what are you thinking about for your future? Yeah. So even in even I've been in the office supplies industry for. Uh, 14, 15 years. So I've been in the industry for quite a while and I, I have seen the industry change. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of products that we've once upon a time sold, we are selling less and less of. Um, and, uh, and there's new products being added all the time. Um, prior to this, uh, coronavirus challenge that we're all facing uh you know our business was growing which is a real positive um and you know i think i think the key is talking to your customers and understanding their business 
and looking for opportunities. Um, so for an example, we look after some of the biggest retailers in Australia and all based there in Harbour Nation now. Um, you know, we became their partner and some of the products we supply now, just to give you a, an example, and it's, that's probably not something you would think about a traditional office supplies business. Um, one of our biggest sellers is water. So for an example, San Pellegrino bottled water, as in San Pellegrino, Santa Vittoria. Um, when you're looking, some of the luxury retailers out there, you go there to buy a $10,000 bag, you walk in, they give you a bottle of San Pellegrino, that comes from us. Um, and you know we've really been able to change our mix of products um, over the last 14 years to remain relevant. Uh, for an example, we look after um, um, one of the big. We look after one of the biggest uh, TV broadcasters in Australia, and we do all the cantina janitor, We do all the cantina janitorial products. So they got 1,200 staff, um, and every toilet roll that gets used in that business comes from us, paper towels, soap, um, obviously through this um, coronavirus crisis, we, we've always supplied hand sanitizer and toilet paper, but that was um, obviously, you know, we, we're lucky that our business supplies those products. But basically, uh, you know, we're pretty active in looking for opportunities. So where can we help you run your business better? Um, and if you're talking to your customers, they will usually tell you what, what you need to do, uh, where the pain points are. And, um, and as a business, you know, our, my company is called Dynamic Office National. And that name is, is pretty well um, what we try and be. Um, we try and be dynamic and you know, add value to our customers' businesses. Um, and, you know, the products we sell do reflect that. Uh, to give you an example, we sell tampons. Now, that's not something that you would think a traditional office supplies business would sell. However, um, you know, we, we're lucky. We look, after, we look after some companies that give to their staff a... Um, a level of attention which is unbelievable. So for an example, uh, female toiletries are something that a lot of companies do provide their employees and, um, and they're able to get that from us. Um, and you know, the difference between us and let's say going to a pharmacy, um, you know, we're able to bundle that with your order. Uh, we deliver it to your door or to your business um, and we just make it easy. We, we give you a 30 day account. All that type of stuff. So, um, yeah. So our business has changed quite a lot. So look at some of the filing products that we've once upon a time used to sell truckloads of. We no longer do. So um, folders, binders, that that stuff is in decline. But canteen janitorial products is obviously growing quite a bit. Furniture is another category that has grown a lot for us. So we do full office fit outs, um, meaning. We'll go to your business, we'll measure everything. We will come back. Uh, we have a drafts person. They will do a detailed drawing. They will give you CAD drawings with what, what your office will look like. We will go there, we will assemble everything, we'll take everything away. 
um, and we make that process nice and easy. Again, you know, um, uh, chairs, that's another, that's being a massive uh, category for us uh, through this period. Um, and also computer supplies, you, you know, people are working from home now, Tim. Um, and when you make that change from, uh, I'm office based to working from home, you, you're gonna sit on your dining chair for, which is not made to be sat on for eight hours, obviously it's a dining chair, you sit there to have your meal, then you go and sit on the couch. So um, through this transition, we've sold, and we are selling a lot of chairs. And some of that we do, which is quite cool, is we, we sell chairs, which a, uh, we sell good quality products that have five, 10 year warranties. So whereas a lot of our competitors are selling that sort of the cheapest common denominator. Uh, if you want, uh, you know, a 12, one, 12 month warranty max, um, whereas the stuff we do is more 10 year warranty, we can actually deliver a chair assembled to your home um, and to turn around super quick. Uh, if, we've, if it's a chair that we got in stock, we're doing same day deliveries, which in Sydney is pretty rare. Uh, monitors, we've been selling a truckload of monitors at the moment, obviously, because people are used to working in an office where they have two screens and then they go home to a tiny laptop and, um, you know, working becomes very hard. Printers, yeah. it's, um, and obviously, you know, the toilet paper um, craziness that, you know, that we, we were part of that craziness. I mean, we sold an unbelievable amount of toilet paper the last month. Um, so I guess it's sanitizing. We could talk about work stuff all day, mate, but uh, that's, um, I guess if there's a lot of different things you can get from, uh, from Office National or Dynamic Office National. Uh, Caesar's the man in Sydney, <laughs> and uh, that's for sure. If you need any, need any uh, anything at all, even um, polo shirts, I saw there as well, and lots of different things they sell. So, uh, and we are, and we are, and just one last thing before we move on, we are a national provider. Mm. Um, so you know, we 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 send stuff all over the country from yeah. uh, Perth to Tasmania. Um, so yeah, everywhere. It's great. So yeah, that's great, mate. But we so I'm really proud of what you've sort of done. I guess uh, when it comes to um, you know what you've achieved, and it's, it's good to hear a bit, a bit some of your um, take about the business, and what, what 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 sort of you get up to there. So that's great. But I, I guess what I wanted to talk about now is um, some of the other hobbies and stuff that you've got up to. I guess over the years, <clears throat> one thing I noticed you like doing is cycling and also um, eating clean. <laughs> yes, yeah, so um, I'll be honest with you. I, I have I haven't been cycling all that much lately, um, but certainly uh, up until six months ago, um, yeah, cycling was was a pretty big part of my life, which was um, really good hobby. I mean, uh, you meet some, you you make some really good friends. Um, I was racing, I was racing bicycles here in Sydney, which is, you know, um, it does take an unbelievable amount of dedication to sort of be any good at it. And eating clean is, um, it's just part of that lifestyle. It's, um, 
certainly if you want to be competitive in I was racing when I was at my peak, which is, seemed like a lifetime away. When I was at my peak, I was racing B grade. Um, so, you know, the, the grades here, uh, A, B, C, and D. Um, so when I was racing B grade, I mean, if, unless you're eating clean, you, you, it's a real struggle to compete. Mm. Um, and yeah, that sort of becomes your life, you know what I mean? Because you, you're riding, you know, uh, once upon a time, I was riding 350 kilometers a week on my bicycle every week, religiously, uh, which is, you know, um, waking up at four o'clock in the morning, riding 60 Ks before work started, which was, um, you know, it's, it's hard to sustain, I'll be honest with you. We, you know, last, Last year and a half, we purchased two businesses and that took a, a tremendous amount of my personal time, time away from my family, time away from cycling because, um, you know, we, we, we essentially doubled our business in terms of turnover the last year and a half. Mm. And um, when you buy businesses, I mean, there's not, you know, when you've got to move warehouses and you've got to blah, 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 there's not a lot of time to, there was no time to do anything essentially. And, you know, cycling, it is actually an interesting topic for, for us to talk about is the cycling, the eating clean thing and how, when you, when you in the middle of, when you in the thick of that sort of lifestyle, um, you know, once you stop that, how hard it is, to get back into that train, how hard it is to, um, to, you know, do the religious physical activities that I once upon a time did. It's, it's unbelievable how, how once you break that cycle, how difficult it is to get back and eating clean, is certainly, a uh, you know, a big part of that. Um, and some of that, when you're doing it, you can't imagine doing anything else. And then, you know, you, let's say work life, everything gets in the way. And, you know, let's say if you're working until 10 o'clock at night, Tim, I mean, you know, it's hard to eat healthy when you're doing that. It is. It is. So, um, I guess, what are your tips at the moment for eating healthy? Is there anything, any sort of regimes that you stick to? Like, do you, do you really limit the number of carbs you're eating at the moment? Or what, what do you sort of, what, what do you, yep, what do you yep. eat a lot of fats and meats? Yeah, so... Um, what I tend to do, so what I'm, what I'm currently doing, which is working pretty well for me is during the week, I'm, I'm fairly strict into what I eat. Um, uh, certainly I avoid carbs at during, you know, dinner time, no booze during the week. That's something that I try and stick with. Um, and I'm the type of dude that, you know, I really struggle to have one glass of wine with dinner. If I open a bottle usually goes <laughs> but you know my, what I'm trying to do now is during the week um, you know it's just eating eating healthy food and you know mainly um, try and try and eat you know mainly vegetables some meat uh, later at night I really try and avoid carbs um, especially now that I'm not cycling. I mean, when you're cycling as much as I was doing, doing that without carbs is pretty well impossible. I mean, 
you can ride a bike without carbs, but you 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 you're certainly not going to race or be competitive without it. Um, mm. um, but yeah, during the week, I mean, we just try and eat you know, eat healthy. I mean, I've got three kids, Tim, uh, who are six, four, and two. So the days of being adventurous on the kitchen, are sort of, you know, well behind me in terms of trying, you know, real, you know, we, we usually eat fairly basic stuff because of the kids mainly. Um, you know, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, avoid, you know, carbs, the way I look at carbs is, and, and let's, I'm just going to put the focus on, I have not been, I'm not living the athlete lifestyle right now that I once did. Um, but basically I saw carbs as a, as a fuel. Um, and, you know, if you, if you're an active person and you're burning and you doing physical activity, carbs, um, certainly help you get the most of that. Um, however, um, you know the you know eating eating a lot of carbs when you're not doing anything you know that's how you get fat i mean there's no two ways about it really mm. um in booze and going back to booze as i said like i um, you know i struggle to have one glass of wine if i have one i'll usually want to have another one another one another one the bottle's I mean, finished so generally week, is, just... yeah, a lot of wines are generally pretty low or no carbs so um usually wines are okay I think, um, but obviously the more. Oh, I think it depends. I think I think all, a lot of the uh, moderation, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then on the weekends, you know, I I usually just relax a bit and do whatever. Um, but certainly, when I was in the when I was living, you know, that sort of athlete life. I mean, I, I was very regimented in what I ate because uh, cycling is obviously all about keeping your weight down that's a massive part of cycling um and you know it, it, i i struggled to keep to go i never i could never get under 85 kgs i mean i'm 182 centimeters high, tall um and i could never go under 85 kg doesn't didn't matter how much i starved i just could not do it um which you know, um, at 85 kilos, I was a stick. Um, but really? in the world that I lived in, Tim, that world of cycling, 85 kilos, you are not light. You know, um, I know some of my friends, the guys that are competitive in A grade, um, you know, 65 kg, and they right. are my height. That's, they were, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot, there was not a That's lot really to cool them. Fit. Well, uh, I mean, in a bar fight, you would beat them up quite easily. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they, they can ride a bicycle fast. Um, and fitness is an interesting one. Like, you know, what is fitness? I mean, riding a bike for the longest bike ride I've done was 230 kilometers, which is an unbelievable. In one go. It's an yeah. unbelievable distance. Um, so, you know, you get that baseline cardio you know, that's what cycling is. Like, it, it is just a car. Like, you, you get that baseline cardio. And I think for anyone trying to, um, you know, losing, you know, cycling and losing weight uh, can work pretty well. Um, if you still got to be mindful of what you eat because, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that losing weight is all about diet. 
Mm. Um, you know, uh, exercising, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because you, you are a car. Let's, let's make that analogy. You're a vehicle and you burning, you going through a tank of fuel, you've got to refuel that. And more often than not, what people do, and then you see this in cycles all the time, especially the more of the weekend warriors. You see these guys wearing lycra, they got these big guts on them and they ride a hundred kilometers, but they, they're too overweight. But that's because they ride a hundred kilometers and then they overeat. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I'm a firm believer if losing weight is, exercises can be a part of it. However, I, I do think it can be a double-edged sword because um, depending on the diet regimen that you follow, let's say if you want to go and do, which I think is what you're doing now, which is not eating a lot of carbs, you're really hungry. Um, you know, when you when you when you're eating a lot of sort of healthy fats and you're avoiding carbs, I know when I was doing that, uh, you know, sometimes you even forget to eat. Like you, you know, you have breakfast and then it's three o'clock and yeah. you go, I haven't even had lunch, and I, but this doesn't bother you. Whereas mm. if you're exercising and if you ride uh, 60 kilometers before work, you are going to spend your day eating because you're going to be yeah. like, you know, my by breakfast, by breakfast, you're ravenous because your body's just going, oh, I just burned two and a half thousand calories. You've got to give me some food. Um, and it is hard work. Um, you know, usually I, I found that when I was when I was overweight, losing that sort of initial sort of chunk, that goes quite quickly. And then... Once you're dedicated, yeah. Uh, that go it goes because you got you if you're carrying a lot of weight if you just work hard that that sort of that big chunk goes but then that last ten kilos it's unbelievably difficult to lose um, you know you you basically just got to go hungry I mean you know that's that's sort of how it is and and you know in it's, it's a bit of a yin yang type uh, philosophy to this. The reason why you, you get overweight is because you overeat and you're never hungry. And if you want to do the opposite of being overweight, which is being skinny, you've got to do the opposite of what you've done to get to how you got. Um, yeah, but certainly, you know, the, the diet that you're doing now, I mean, um, yeah, that can, that's, a, that's a pretty solid way to lose weight i mean i did it i lost a, I lost a fair bit of weight you know doing that keto diet um uh, is any anything else you get up to now in your downtime is there anything that obviously the kids would keep you very busy but um is there any anything else that uh that you've sort of found and how have you sort of found generally uh you know how, how we've sort of gone with covid You've gone quiet there. Are you there, mate? Can you? I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Just having a few technical difficulties here. So hang on. Can you hear me there, Caesar? Thumbs up if you can hear me. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. I can't hear you at the moment. So I'm not too sure what's. Go, hang on. Uh, I'm try now. Is that working now? Just try talking now. Hello, I'm. Yeah, I'm it's talking. back. 
You're back. You're back. We're back. Okay, cool, cool. It's been a bit. Uh, so, so. And now it's gone again. <laughs> Hang on. Not too sure what's going on here. It's been a bit playing up a bit. I'm not sure. I'll try uh, getting toward the end of the podcast. But yeah, I'll just um, see if we can get this uh, going again. Tell you what I'll, I'll tell you what I'll there do. You go, there you go. Second, there you go. Yep. You're on, you're on again. Keep going. And then now it's gone again. Yeah. Not too sure, man. What I might do is I might get you on the, uh, I might just get you on the phone perhaps. Um, that's okay. Right, here we go. Oh, you got it? Hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you fine. I'm just on the computer. I was using my headset. So, but to answer your question, Tim, you know, my kids are at an age now where, you know, there's a lot of extracurricular activities. So Henry, um, my son, um, you know, we signed him up to the Barcelona Academy for soccer. And that was uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and a game on Sunday. So that's four days a week. You, yeah. you basically doing the running around. Um, my daughter, Claire, um, you know, she did gymnastics and swimming and all that type of stuff. So um, very much I'm the, you know, come the weekend, I mean, during the week, Tim, you know, as you know, you know, when you run your own business, you know, you, you never sort of home before sort of six, really. Um, so exactly. during the week, I mean, you get home and it's just the race of, you know, getting the kids fed, putting them to sleep. But by the time that's finished, it's 8.30. And by then, you, you, there's not, you're not going to be doing anything else, basically. Um, but, yeah, certainly on weekends, I do a bit of woodworking, which is, which is a pretty fun hobby, so making furniture for fun. Um, and that's a, that's a good sort of mental um, break from everything. You know, as you know, Tim, you you run your own business and you you know people count on you to have all the answers type thing and you're constantly you know solving problems for other people and blah 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 and then with kids it's just uh, that sort of never-ending task you know you know woodworking has been a cool hobby that i can just go and sort of get away from everything for for a few hours and you know make something out of nothing which is quite cool um and you know the hobby has intersected a little bit with with my work we actually we do the stand-up desks uh which are you know we we make them out of slabs which is really really cool i'll send you a picture um mm -hmm. yeah but i mean with three three kids at that age it's not you know they, they take up most of my time um what about yourself what hobbies are you you were cycling for a bit are you still doing yeah, it? well it's sort of i bought a dud bike I think I bought it. I bought it from 99 bikes, and that's not the place to buy bikes. Uh, if you want to just take yeah, a, yeah. a bit of mountain biking and stuff, so basically got rid of it, you know, six months ago, and haven't really had a chance to rebuy a bike since. So yeah, I've been a bit stuck in that regard. But uh, yeah. I will buy something again, um, but uh, it might be a little bit later in the year. Yeah, I recommend a road bike. That's um, I mean 
the mountain, I've never got into mountain biking, um, but road bikes, they're fun. They make you go as fast as possible, which is also, which is the, the fun bit, I think. Um, what else are you doing, Tim? Uh, what else? Um, podcasting is obviously the last couple of years I've been doing that. That's been fun. Um, and what else have I been doing? I, I now that I've been doing the gym work from home, so I've been I set up my sort of gym downstairs. Um, so that's I've sort of that's uh, with COVID and all that coming in, it's probably worked out well too. So work work out four or five times a week downstairs. Um, and it's just, yeah, work's really, really busy at the moment. Obviously watching a bit of TV where I can. Um, uh, Netflix series like uh, Ozark, I started to get into. I'm watching that as well. So that's really, that's really good. Just, I haven't got to season two yet. I'm still getting through season one, but it's, yeah, it's good, man. It's good, good, good uh, series. Well, yeah, I was going to ask, when was the last time you came to Brisbane? How long ago was the last time you were here? I was in Brisbane probably uh, six six months ago. I did a course. Um, I did a business course in Queensland a few months back, and I was travelling to Brisbane probably once a month for about six months. That was quite cool. As I said, Tim, I, I love Brisbane. I think it's as a, I you know, and I say this to everyone. Um, you know, even people from overseas, um, Brisbane is ten out of ten. Uh, but have yeah, the six months. Have you have you seen that new Howard Smith Wars area that's opened up in the last twelve months? Have you, have you seen any What's of that? this? The Howard Smith Wars near the Story Bridge here. Have you seen that? Oh, I've, I, I haven't been there, but I definitely saw it. What is it? A brewery? Yes, there's a brewery there called Felons Brewery. As you can see, there's also yep. a cocktail bar in there. It's just all—it's all on this side of, on the north side of the, um, on the Story yeah. Bridge. Uh, it's a good little area. It's, a, it's become very, very popular. It's sort of taken, oh, some this, out, yeah. taken some business out of the valley, I guess. But yeah, um, where I worked uh, walking distance from that place when I worked in Brisbane. Um, but it, my last few visits to Brisbane, I was certainly not, um, you know. I was pretty busy with work yeah. and starting. So I was, yeah, unfortunately I didn't get to get out and experience the city. We're actually, our, our conference this year for, for our business was going to be in Brisbane, which I was very, very much looking forward to, but that's obviously, I don't think that's going to be going ahead now because of. What, what um, month was that? I think it was going to be October. Well, October. I don't know. It's it's hard to know what what the world's going to be like in October, isn't it? It's that's the hard thing. I think. Um, I think. You know, they've cancelled obviously the Ecker already, but. And I think we, you know, the we we it's, Australia is probably the safest country in the planet to being right now, in terms of this disease. Um, you know, we've we've handled it unbelievably well. I mean, I know we're back home. Um, you know, there's been already 4,000 deaths, um, and you know, things are, uh, things are looking pretty bad, you know, the things are going to get a lot worse there before they get better. And I think we are sort of towards the end of it. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. I'm, I'm surprised, I'm surprised that, um, 
if you were to predict that we'd have flattened the curve the way we did, uh, you know, at the sort of end of March, and have predicted where the stats are right now, you'd think that'd be a lot worse in Australia. But um, we've been very lucky, and uh, I think it's been one of those situations where because we've been isolated and uh, and had it reasonably under control and been reasonably strict. Um, and yes, there's going to be dickheads that go to Bondi Beach or whatever and do whatever they do, but at the end of the day, I think we've been lucky, but also it's it's because of the way we operate here. Yeah, 100%. And look, look at Italy for an example. Um, the way people interact with one another is very different to the way we interact with one another here in Australia. Mm. For an example, it's very common for an Italian person to give you a kiss on the cheek when you see them. Whereas we don't do that. Uh, same in Brazil. Brazil is a very touchy, you know, you, it's how we greet each other in Brazil is you give each other a kiss on the cheek and a kiss on the other cheek. Uh, we don't do that here. So I think, um, you know, that, that obviously makes a big difference. And I think, I think, Closing the borders to China early, I think that was a pretty good idea. I mean, obviously, it wasn't a popular decision to make, but I think it was definitely the right one. Um, and I, I think the, you know, given how new this is, and no one really knows what they're doing, really, uh, I think we've done really well. Um, I'm pretty proud to, I'm proud to be Australian, especially, you know, this is the type of, these are the types of events that, um, you know, really show that, you know, your country's colors. And I think we've done unbelievable. It's been very good. Um, and in business, I mean, how, as an accountant, as a numbers person, how, how do you think the government has handled, uh, you know, the job seeker package, all that type of stuff? What's your sort of... Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Obviously, the big one at the moment is, is JobKeeper, which is... Um, a lot of our clients are, seem to be eligible for, like at least half, more than half seem to be eligible based on their turnovers gone down 30% at a, at a month that's the test. Um, so as a result, uh, they're having to uh, work out ways they can pay their, their staff whilst things are a bit slower. Uh, is, is always a bit of a challenge. Do I get money from the bank? Uh, can I get money from the bank? Can I get money from family? What can I do uh, to, keep, to keep everything afloat? Um, so it's been quite interesting. We've obviously had to advise our clients to try to get everything that's out there for for our clients in order to make sure there's as much sort of money coming in the bank. But as far as the how much that is, it's quite astronomical. The amount of money that the government are, are going to be putting out, it's, it's it's a lot more than what it should be, and it's a lot more than what we envisaged. But you know, it, you've got to take advantage of it if you're a business to to keep going, and the strong will survive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, it, it's. I think it'd be it'd be very it'd be a very hard job to be in that position making those calls. I mean, I don't think. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with someone as new, too. there's too much red tape in a lot of these ones as well. It's it's sort of it's it's really red tapey than what it should be. Yeah. Um. Okay. But I mean, in terms of, uh, it, it has been interesting. So if you're a casual and let's say you worked a few hours a week yeah, and you were making, you were making, let's say $300 a week, yep. 
you now make $750 a week. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, so there's it, been a lot of contentious issue around this whole casual um, employment in particular and whether or not they're, they're eligible employees for job seek, job keeper. Mm -hmm. And basically, um, if the casuals that have been on the books for, for 12 months, uh, and there's a lot of times that they've got shifts over that 12 months, let's say they've worked 30, even more than 30 out of the 52 weeks, that's regular enough to be considered a, a long-term casual. And then those long-term casuals need to, um, if they're still employed by the business, not stood down, not, not made terminated, not made or anything like that, and made redundant, or told to, to stop working, then they get eligible. If, in order to keep those employees, you have to pay them, you know, your 750 minimum per week or 1500 a fortnight. So, uh, and that's, that's so a lot more earnings. Now they're getting 750. Yeah, um, so then, then they've changed the goalpost a little bit more over the, just over the last, over the last 48 hours. So this thing changes all the time. But initially, mm -hmm. we've um, 16 and 17 year olds were part of this, now they're not. So 16 and mm. 17 year olds that uh, are full-time students, which most of them are, are now no longer eligible employees for JobKeeper. So and that's only in the last 48 hours. And too bad if you already paid them, you know, which some, a lot of businesses already have. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, and I think, um, I think in terms of business, this will change a lot of things, I think, for from a business owner's point of view, I think the ball will be on your court a little bit. I think it will be more of an employer's market instead of an employee's market. Um, you know, if unemployment rate goes over 10%, I mean, um, I think the people that will suffer is the people, you know, a lot of people go to work to go home type thing. The people that uh, do the bare minimum they aren't adding a whole heap of value to your business those are the first ones to go and I think those guys will struggle now where um, before you know back on the days two months ago Tim when everything was hunky-dory we didn't even realize I mean some of us did but um, I mean you know there was a lot of I mean uh, certainly talking to a lot of my clients um, they're saying you know we had a lot of fat in our business and now we're realizing and uh, the job keeper is obviously a bit of a band-aid um, you know for the next six months but the question is what happens after six months I mean this, That's the unknown. I just, there's a lot of unknowns will you know you, you wouldn't expect that that uh, the economy is going to be booming in six months um, that's well, the it's not going to be so the international tourism and i'll give you an example my brother works for emirates and you know the when he flies into sydney or brisbane or wherever so he, the whole crew will stay for two nights in a hotel in brisbane or sydney or whatever and it's usually a nice hotel like hilton so those guys stay there for two nights they get an allowance which they usually go and spend in that country so my brother comes here for an example he's here for two nights they get i think it's about 150 dollars to cover meals obviously on top of their salary yeah but they basically you know they go out uh they add to the local economy they go to a restaurant or they go to dan murphy's or whatever it is that's stopping now 
Yeah, so you know, it would be interesting to see what this place looks like without that international tourism. Um, but I do, I really do think in six months' time, I think if your business is still down 30%, you're gonna have to let people go. I mean, there's no that's just how it is. The yeah, biggest cost exactly, around- exactly, and it could be sooner than that as well. Um, that you might have to make those decisions, but um, yeah, it's, it's gonna be an interesting times, but interesting times ahead, you know. Um, there's a lot of lot of plans that have changed. We people in the events festivals industry, um, it's hitting insane terribly. Um, how you know people are people going to want to be itching to go out to festivals in six months time once they can go back to festivals? Uh, will what will the there's market a lot of businesses like? out there. You know, the, if you if you run a catering company uh, that that looks after airlines. I mean, your business doesn't exist anymore overnight. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's very, very crazy. Mm. But in terms of, um, you know, employees, I mean, um, you know, this is a really good time for you to really sit down and figure out how you can add some value to your business. I mean, if you haven't asked the person you work for, for the next few months, what what would you like me to do different to what I've always done? That's a key question. Every employee should be asking the employer. Um, because as I said, with the honeymoon periods for the six months um, is over and the economy isn't back to where it was, you know, people are going to be let go. And if you're that person that turns up to work to go home and you're not really that vested in that business, I'm assuming you're going to be the first one to go. So, you know, interesting times ahead. And I think people, um, people probably need to get a bit more flexible around work and, you know, certainly, um, you know, just because you've always done something that doesn't necessarily mean that that's your reality anymore. And, you know, that question, which I said, you know, um, I think if one of my employees came up to me and said, it's a bit quiet now, what what do you need me to do? I think that you know that is that's a pretty powerful question, uh, and you might find out you might put yourself in front of um, you know in front of the person who's gonna you know end up getting sacked. Right, we've been going for about an hour and a quarter, believe it or not. So we, it's it's been really good to catch up with you, Caesar. It's been great to Let's have you. And uh, next time I'm in Brisbane, hopefully we can go and have a beer. Yeah, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later, but we'll see how things go. But uh, all the best, mate. Stay safe. Uh, thank you very Please much for reaching out. Thanks, thanks very much, man, for reaching out to to me and uh, and wanting to hear a bit of your story. I like, I like you know to hear the story about uh, some of the stuff um, you had to sort of in, you know endure as you were sort of growing up and moving into moving to Australia from Brazil was quite. It's quite interesting, um, and obviously a great friend of my brother and a family friend, as you know, uh, they'll all be probably watching this podcast as well. So, shout out to my brother Nick, so and Chris, sorry, yeah. and um, to, 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 uh, Tony and Sue who moved into their new place up in overlooking Marucci River. Did you know about that? Please, please say hi to Tony and Sue. I mean, those guys are. Uh... You know, you, you your family is unbelievable. I mean, the wheel shears, um, I've got nothing but praise for you guys. Um, please say hi to everyone. And um, looking forward to catching up with you sooner rather than later. 
Okay, all the best, mate. Take it easy. See you later, mate. Bye. Cheers.